A good evening to all of my wonderful listeners, and welcome to episode three of the Historian Weekly Podcast, the forum where we come and discuss the history behind current events and look at them through a modern magnifying glass. In this week's episode, East meets West, a clash of civilizations, Christianity versus Islam. I'm talking about the Third Crusade, one of the most important battles ever to take place over control of the Holy Land. On one side, we have Salah al-Din Ayyubi, and on the other, King Richard the Lionheart. What happened in this battle? Who were these legendary warriors, and what made them so noble? Let's find out. Oh yeah, ladies and gentlemen, let's make some history. The year is 1191. The location, Arsuf, 30 miles north of Yafo or Jaffa, and around 65 miles northwest of Jerusalem. For 88 years, the Holy Land has been ruled uninterrupted by the Crusaders, European armies of Christendom, which aimed to establish Christianity as the main religion and the ruling power over the Holy Land, and expelling the Muslims, which they refer to as infidel. This year will mark the first time that Salah al-Din Ayyubi and Richard I will engage in full-on face-to-face combat, creating a decisive battle which will decide the fate of the Holy Land for the next 100 years. But before we talk about that, who were these two men? Salah al-Din Yusuf ibn Ayyub, better known by his real name, Salah al-Din Ayyubi, was a Sunni Muslim of Kurdish ethnicity. After defeating the Shia Fatimid Caliphate with his uncle Shirkuh, he established the Ayyubid dynasty and became Grand Sultan of the Muslim lands that he conquered. On a side note, this was the first and so far only time that the Kurds have ever held power or had a fully independent country. However, there was one thorn on his side. The holy city of Jerusalem, and so to speak the rest of the Holy Land, were still under the control of the Crusaders, of whom he saw as European invaders trying to take the land that to him rightfully belonged to the Muslims, right? He managed to retake Jerusalem from the Crusaders at the Battle of Hattin in 1187. And to add to his mercifulness and nobleness, he didn't actually execute any of the Christian prisoners. When he took Jerusalem, rather than killing them all, he actually let them go. And for the, uh, the, and for the Christians who couldn't pay their tax to leave, he paid the tax for them so they can have an orderly departure. He even let Christian pilgrims visit the city unmolested by Muslims. However... The Crusaders saw this as a major defeat, and unbeknownst to Salah Eddin, were preparing a massive counterattack. That massive counterattack was led by this man, King Richard I of England, who was a brutal and authoritarian ruler. He put down rebellions against his father, was a commander of his own army, and was a central Christian commander during the Third Crusade. His military acumen, bravery, and brute force, even against his own population, led him to gain the nickname the Lionheart. After succeeding his father on the throne, he only spent six months in England before departing to the Holy Land. In 1191, he arrived in Akko, or Acre, safely, after the German Emperor Friedrich Barbarossa, who was also part of the Third Crusade, died and drowned on the way there. At one point during the siege of, of Akko, he fell ill with scurvy, from the sea, of course. However, he was so willing to keep up this battle that he actually shot arrows from a crossbow while he was being carried away from a stretcher. Imagine that. He was lying down, shooting arrows from a stretcher, picking off the guards one by one. So, the situation is this. We have two brilliant generals and two real forces to be reckoned with. What happens when they engage each other in real combat? 
Let's get back to 1191. Richard the Lionheart was already making big gains in the Holy Land, first taking Acre in the north, or Acre, and then almost the whole coast all the way towards Jaffa, which means he already had almost all of northern what is today Israel under his control. At Arsuf, Salahuddin attacks Richard's forces on the 7th of September 1191. After the disaster that befell the Crusaders in Hattin, Richard knew that the heat exhaustion was the greatest threat to his forces. Unlike the old commanders, Richard was smart, pretty much. Unlike Salahuddin's cavalry, Richard's knights wore iron armor, which, in the baking desert sun, was literally frying his men to death. And it was also a desert, so it was very hard to actually find a water source. Richard already planned for this. He frequently made rest stops, every time next to a source of water, and he only marched in the morning before the heat of the day. He proceeded actually quite slowly in comparison to his previous commanders, which confused Salahuddin. So Salahuddin, thinking, okay, Richard's weak, he has absolutely no idea what he's doing, does he? Began his attack by firing crossbows upon Richard's knights and arrows, but this did little. Bohadin, the Muslim chronicler and eyewitness to this attack, writes, The Muslims discharged arrows at them from all sides to annoy them and force them to charge, but this they were unsuccessful. These men exercised wonderful self-control. They went on their way without any hurry, whilst their ships followed in their line of march along the coast, and in this manner they reached their halting place." Salahuddin realized that in order to really do damage to Richard's forces, he needed to commit his full army into an all-out assault. Fortunately for him, Arsuf was a, is actually close to a forest, which actually gave a place for Salahuddin's forces to hide. Salahuddin began his attack from the forests with loud trumpets, gongs, and men screaming war cries in order to scare the crusaders. But the already experienced knights were not scared, and this did little to stop them from advancing into Arsuf itself. The crusaders then counterattacked, taking advantage of Salahuddin's strategic error, which made his forces come too close to the enemy, and butchered them. Salahuddin thought that because all of his army was on horseback, he could come in, butcher the enemy, and then run away as fast as possible. Like today's lightning wars or blitzkriegs, but this was proven wrong by the more experienced crusaders. Salahuddin's army was not destroyed, but he was definitely shaken, and this was an important victory for the crusaders. The Battle of Arsuf ended, and the crusaders marched triumphantly. The Crusaders kept going for the next 30 miles until they took the strategic port, uh, coastal and port city of Jaffa, in which case Salahuddin decided that he doesn't need to fight anymore, and he can't, and instead wanted to negotiate with Richard. This time, they negotiated not as enemies or sworn enemies, but as worthy adversaries, or that's how they saw each other. On amicable terms, they negotiated a three-year truce whether, whereby the coastal cities of Jaffa, Acre, Ascalon, and Gaza were given to the Crusaders, while Salahuddin and the Muslims retained control over the holy city of Jerusalem. Muslim prisoners would not be executed, and Christians will be allowed to make pilgrimages to Jerusalem completely unmolested and even protected by Muslim forces. Unlike the Crusaders, Salahuddin treated the prisoners that he took unusually fairly. He spared their lives, fed them, and actually allowed the Crusader fighters that tried to kill his forces go home, back to Europe, and he gave them a free passage back there. 
This battle and the subsequent battles became the stuff of legends, in which multiple stories emerged of the two knights, the two fighters' nobility and respect for each other and for the battle itself. Salahuddin and Richard the Lionheart actually respected each other very much as warriors, and were even on almost friendly terms. When Richard the Lionheart's horse died in battle, for example, Salahuddin gave him a new horse, as he believed the battle should be fought fairly. When Richard became sick. Salahuddin sent him a bowl of fruit so that he would recover. When Richard the Lionheart's army took 3,000 Muslim prisoners, Richard put them all under his personal guard and did not allow them to be killed. They were all spared. He also offered to merge the kingdom with Salahuddin, offering to marry his sister, Joan of Burgundy, to his brother, Salahuddin's brother, Al-Adil. However, Salahuddin declined this offer as he did not want Adil to convert to Christianity as Richard required. Also, here's a very nice story. When a Christian baby was sold into slavery in Jerusalem, his mother, desperate, turned to Salahuddin for help. He did not rest until he found the child and paid for him with his own pocket. The child was saved and brought back to his mother. Salahuddin then arranged a horse to take them back to camp, and she then left Jerusalem with her child safely. Now, you might be wondering, where did I get all of this information? Well, actually, both sides recorded the respect of each other. Even Salahuddin's enemies recorded his generosity and piousness and nobility. He managed to uphold the respect of chivalry even in the times of the worst of battles. In 1192, Richard the Lionheart, having completed, almost completed his mission, departed to, from the Holy Land, being ill with scurvy. He would die shortly after returning back to his throne in England. Salahuddin will also die at age 41, being very ill with a fever. He only had a few silver coins to his name, and he actually gave all of his vast personal wealth to his subjects. He died a poor man, and the people who buried him actually had to rent the cloth that he would be buried with, because he had no money left. Both warriors are remembered in Europe and the Islamic world as the greatest of men, with Richard being called Lionheart instead of Richard I, showing how significant he was as a warrior. Salahuddin will also be remembered as one or if not the greatest Muslim commander. He shaped the culture of the future Arab states as well as the entire Kurdish ethnic culture. However, because Richard did not manage to take Jerusalem from the Muslims, which was actually his original mission, even though he managed to retake the coastal cities, this would actually spark the Fourth Crusade a few years later. But this is a topic for another day. This crusade and the battles that followed actually were very special, not just because of how bloody they were, which special being the wrong word, but it was special because this was one of the very few instances of true respect between Christianity and Islam during medieval times. They managed to put away the differences in their origins, religions, and cultures, and come to a point where the people would actually have a relatively safe time. It is safe to say that today's advanced armies and modern commanders could, use a, could really use a lesson or two from these two men about chivalry and code of conduct, some respect in the battle, especially for prisoners, that has disappeared in modern times completely. Well, ladies and gentlemen, another episode of the Historian Weekly Podcast has come to an end. Thank you once again from the bottom of my heart for listening and wanting to make history in order to improve ourselves as a human species. I'd like to give a special mention to my friend Hakan Yildiz for giving me all the information about Salahuddin. He was truly a really big help here. 
This podcast may be over, but the conversation continues at our Facebook page at Historian or the website historian.net. Please, please, please like, share, and subscribe the podcast to keep me on the air and to increase in the amount of listeners as much as possible. I really want this to reach as many people as I possibly can. And also, please don't hesitate to send a personal message or a question on the Facebook page. I am always available and I'm always ready to answer them. Have a good week, everybody.